This is Brian Billick, and I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome back to another exciting season for the Coaches Show podcast. Here we go. To the right side, and a play fake to Morris, and Griffin will throw it over the middle, and that's a leaping catch, and Garcon with a catch, and he's to the 50, to the 40, being chased down at the 30, to the 20, to the 10. He breaks the tackle. Touchdown! Robert Griffin the third to Pierre Garcon for 88 yards. Well, Danny, obviously you can't begin looking at what happened uh, this first weekend in the NFL and not talk about these rookie quarterbacks. We had 10 total rookie and second-year quarterbacks, five rookies and, t- and five second-year guys. Let's talk about how they did because this is the way of the NFL now. The, the old days, you know, you and I are old enough. It used to be, <laughs> oh, let's, let's groom the guy for three, right. four years, and then we'll bring him in. That just doesn't happen anymore. And, no, and, well, it's new, it's new coaches young, and younger coaches, and it's also, of course, the new players. So we call them the, the rookie five. You know that's exactly saying? right, and, like the old Fab Five. Yeah, and, and everybody, of course, is talking about RG3, who looked fabulous. I think a lot of it was based on him being ready to throw. But also, you know, Mike Shannon had said, we're going to get rid of the ball. I mean, five of the first six passes were screen passes, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. So he was determined to have him have a completion because you can complete those. Now, whether you got three yards or eight yards, you can complete those, and we're going to do a lot of them early, and that's what, the way they started out playing. Well, and Mike Shanahan has always done a nice job of moving his quarterback around a little bit not setting him in that pocket he'll do the short boots and waggles and get him outside but well let's let's talk about we'll go let's run through these guys a little bit and I think as we both know one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to evaluate a quarterback separate of what's going on in his team right sometimes we act like they're mutually exclusive things and they are a factor and and all of these teams that these these rookie five are are dealing with for the most part are teams that are going to struggle a little bit let let's start with the first pick of the draft, Andrew Luck. Everybody knew Indianapolis going through a massive change that this is he was likely to struggle, even though it wasn't a particularly good game. The game didn't certainly look too big for him. It was the typical uh, one touchdown, three interceptions. Most of these guys, you know, these rookies by the end of the year will likely throw as many or more interceptions they do touchdowns. But the good thing about Andrew Luck, it certainly didn't look too big for him. No, it doesn't. And I think he's probably going to be like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning won three games. You know what I mean? His first year, he was the first pick. They had a terrible Lost game his first there. game and threw three interceptions yeah, in his and, first game. And he, he was able to go out and, and win three. And I think Andrew Luck is going to be in that, you know, two to four category. They're not a terrible football team, but but clearly they're going to have trouble. And I think the key is is how rough a time they have it in the beginning. Because if they lose at the beginning, and I mean lose badly, then I think that could make a big difference. And when you have a rookie quarterback, because of the way the game went, uh, and obviously Chicago, although struggled early, and threw the, the pick six early and obviously gave Indianapolis an early lead, uh, then Jay Cutler got hot. Andrew Luck threw 45 passes. I mean, most rookies you'd really like to, although my mentality is it's a little like Cam Newton last year. I love the fact they just let him have at it. Uh, You know, 6 and 10, okay, so what? You go 5 and 11? Right. You know, who cares at this point? Indianapolis isn't going to be a playoff team. Let the guy have at it. But for a rookie, 45 passes, the more a rookie has to throw, the more mistakes he's going to make compared to RG3 who threw 26 passes. Yeah, and you really want to be in that 26 yeah. to 45 category. I mean, throwing 45 passes, that, that's not good for the team. Now, it, it's fine for the, for the quarterback, for, for Andrew Luck, but not good for the team because the team feels we don't have much chance to win. And you got some guys like Reggie Wayne and guys like that that are saying, oh, wait a minute, how's it, are we really trying to win? Are we really trying to develop something? Or are we just going out there trying to get one guy the experience to be a great 
great player. And I think it depends on how great they think he'll be. But right now, up to one, he did okay, but but not uh, necessarily good. And they, okay. have, they have the perfect alignment of if you're going to take a rookie quarterback, you certainly want to do that in your first year <laughs> because you're going to kind of get those mulligans that say, okay, we're building here, we're going forward. The next guy, RG3, a little bit different dynamic because Mike Shanahan going into year three hasn't had a winning season. Okay, you're going to get a little bit of a, a dispensation of you're starting a rookie quarterback, but the expectations are a lot higher. Certainly they delivered in New Orleans. Yeah, well, they did. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, back to the one quickly on – on Indianapolis, new general manager and new coach. Right. Okay, new quarterback, so everything's new. We know Washington, I think a lot of people felt a little relieved because they said, okay, Shanahan's ready to make a playoff. Two years before, not a playoff team, very, very average team, 11 wins in two seasons. Now I think he's off to a good start. And going down to New Orleans, you know, having a first-year player at New Orleans, with New Orleans with his issues now. I mean, you're talking about a monkey wrench to get it right. down, saying, now right. what are we going to do? I don't know what they do, to be honest with you, right. but it was a great win for Shanahan to start off with a win it was a great job by rg3 yeah and you and i obviously it's a little self-serving to say but coaching does make a difference you know i hope i hope uh i I think the most impressive thing to me and we'll talk about this as we go through some of the games as a whole to me particularly in the opening weekend but the whole season wrong and long and when you and i work together you always put such an emphasis on the ability to go on the road and play well down the road Uh, as you would say march all night and and fight all day and and that, to me, that makes this not only for RG3, but for the Washington Redskins, one of the most impressive wins of the weekend because they went on the road in the Dome against a very talented New Orleans team. I thought Washington and specifically RG3 would struggle because they'd have to keep up with New Orleans and Drew Brees. Right. And now we might look at the, the the box score and see an RG3 thrown at 40, 45 times because he was have to keep up with being down by three, down by 10, down by 14, whatever it may be. But for them to go in and across the board, not just our three, RG3, but the defense to beat – it looked like Drew Brees was trying to keep up with RG3, and right. he didn't do a very good job of it. No, well, he, he didn't. Uh, Drew Brees did not have a game like this last year. He did not have a game that was this poorly played uh, on his part. Now, they dropped some passes, and there were a few things that weren't working, but the protection was just okay. And I think people anticipated, despite the fact that Sean Payton wasn't there, despite the fact that Joe Vitt wasn't there, that somehow they'd have at least enough to be Washington since they were opening at home, but it didn't happen the way. And I think maybe there's no doubt the turmoil of having some guys I don't know. Are they reinstated or not? I mean, some some panel, which I didn't yeah. know was existing, came out and said that, hey, we're overruling the commissioner. Are you kidding? I thought the commissioner was all everything. So I think there was definitely some confusion, which added to it. Well, uh, but, the lawyers but RG, involved again. So. Well, yeah, I know about a few lawyers involved. <laughs> well, uh, okay, let's let's move on to, and the next two guys uh, are interesting, obviously, uh, and I'm taking them in order that they were drafted. Next comes Ryan Tannehill and then Brandon Wheaton. Now, and I want to begin the discussion. We we both know that they they went to teams in Miami and Cleveland that aren't very good. So there again, okay, a little bit different for Joe Philbin, who's starting out in Miami, and and uh, uh, Pat Shermer, who now going into year two, a little bit more pressure starting over with that way. A new offensive coordinator brought Brad Childress in. Um, a little bit, and Mike Holmgren, this is year three. Right. You know, he 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 stuck with uh, uh, the the coach before, then made the change. So that's a different dynamic than what we're talking about in Indianapolis. What we're talking about in Miami. My concern with Ryan Tannehill and Brandon Wheaton, who I I like as quarterbacks. I made the point at the draft. 
I think they were drawn too high into the draft simply because we need quarterbacks. Right. And and certainly these guys, these guy, these two guys looked like second round quarterbacks <laughs> starting out in the NFL, which doesn't mean they're not going to be good or that right. wasn't the way to do it. But boy, these these two really did struggle. Well, I think it was unfortunate because both Cleveland and Miami picked high because they were hurting. They couldn't afford somebody to take these players late in the first round when they really needed these players. They jumped and took them. Now, this is a great example of there is no magic in the system. So this this is this is the West Coast classic system with, with Brad Childress and, and also Philbin for Miami Childress for the Browns. It's the classic West Coast offense. It's classic the way that, uh, that Aaron Rodgers <laughs> runs it at Green Bay, and it doesn't look like it because it's not just the system. You have to have the quarterback to be able to play it, and it takes a long time. It's not really a system that you can jump in right away and be able to drop the ball off or use the whole nuances of the system. So I think these guys are going to struggle a bit. I think they're going to make the West Coast offense not look so great. Yeah, you know, and I Honestly, I'll be honest with you. I really hadn't thought of it in those terms, but you're right. Because as we know, anytime a quote-unquote West Coast guy takes a job, (laughs) one of the first things he does is go find a quarterback that's familiar with the system, even if it's not a starter. Right. Uh, uh, And for these guys, and I applaud that they're starting because they'll be better next year for having done that. Uh, But but my my contention was early on, I think they got – selected a little higher than their talents indicated right. uh, based on the fact that it was, as we've said many times, need is a terrible evaluator. It's an even worse right. negotiator, and they got pulled up because of need. They physically obviously look like they're going to hold up. Brandon Wheaton in particular, uh, and and against a Philadelphia defense that, quite frankly, has not been that good. Um, he looked a little like Blaine Gabbard of last year. It right. looks like it was – and in listening to this young man in the preseason – you got the sense that maybe he wasn't fully appreciating just how different it was going to be in the regular season starter. Yeah, and, and I, I was surprised how well Cleveland's defense played. I didn't expect much out of the offense, and it didn't happen. And I thought the defense wouldn't play very well either, but I was wrong. The defense played pretty good, even though Philadelphia, you know, <laughs> their timing is just a little bit off. I think whenever Mike Mike Vick's playing quarterback, he, he doesn't make it look like the classic West Coast offense because he holds the ball, he doesn't get rid of the ball real well, he doesn't throw the backs as much and so forth. So I, I just think that they're they're both gonna they're both gonna struggle. But there will be some opportunities there because there are some teams that are not playing very good defense. Yeah, and and, and we'll, we can talk about that general trend here in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you're talking no touchdowns, seven interceptions between the two of them, you know, typical kind of rookie start. Uh, I remember visiting with Tim Tebow last year. And in only the way Tim Tebow can say it, he says, Coach, I swear they're putting 13 people out there on defense. Because <laughs> all I'm seeing is opposite colors jersey. It is so uh, uh, all over the place for them. Well, the last one was Russell Wilson. And there again, kind of a unique situation. First, the fact that, that uh, he went to a team in Seattle that has already been through. You know, they took Charlie Whitehurst in a trade with uh, San Diego for a second-round pick, ended up cutting him, went back to San Diego, gave $10 million to Matt Flynn to come in, and then took Russell Wilson in the third round and, and, and can't say that it's the right move or the wrong move. They feel like he's the guy to go forward. But that's different than it is for Joe Philbin and, and uh, Chuck Pagano. Okay, we're going to start, we're going to build. Pete Carroll's in year three. Right. And he hasn't had a winning season, all but a playoff season with 7-9 and nine the first year. 
that's a bigger roll of the dice in year three because I don't know that people are going to be as patient for him or his quarterback this year. Well, I, I think you're right, but it also says something about how people see Matt Flynn. How does does uh, Joe Philbin not take Matt Flynn, mm-hmm. even if you wanted Ryan Tannehill and say, okay, I'm going to bring in Matt Flynn who knows the system. This guy can interpret what I'm saying on how to run this West Coast offense. To leave Matt Flynn there and then he goes to Seattle – that says something about Matt Flynn in, in the way of Miami. Then it also for him to be beat out by a five foot ten and a half, five foot eleven, you know, quarterback who's a rookie. That also says something about Matt Flynn. So it makes me think now that maybe their hands are tied a little bit. That Matt, I don't know if it's leadership. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but but you know, Russell Wilson is a great competitor. Everybody says that the way he played at Wisconsin last year, and he had a chance at the, at the end of the ball game. He had a chance to get it done. They had four straight plays, and, and it's that thing where okay. Okay, now at the seven-yard line, if they know you're going to throw it, if you don't have the timeout to run a draw, if you don't have the timeout right. to run a trap, to slam, slam it in there and call time. If you don't have the timeout to do that, then you're throwing all four times. And if you're throwing all four times, then it's really – you may say you're on the seven, but you're really on about the one because you've got about ten yards to get it done. And you're throwing every down, and they threw four passes. Right. One was not close. The other three were close enough, but they he was 0 for 4. And, and that's what happens when you don't have any other alternative but to try to throw when you're deep into the end zone area. You know, the other thing with these five guys that, that jumps out at me is part of the, the, the benchmark or part of the bar that people are measuring them by, certainly a Cam Newton with the huge numbers last year, but he wasn't with a great team, and they went 6 and 10. The other here, names you hear about is Joe Flacco. You hear about Matt Ryan. You hear about Mark Sanchez. Let's understand, they were with three teams that were pretty darn good. Right. And in particular, by way of Baltimore and New York, darn good defenses. Right. So they were in the classic. You go back and look at their numbers, throw it 20, 25 times. Son, just don't lose it. You'll learn as we go. We're a pretty good football team. Now, Matt Ryan was a little bit different. He had it more on his shoulders right from the get-go. They were okay defensively, but not great. They did bring in Michael Turner. Right, they had Tony Gonzalez, right. Roddy White was there. They, of course, this uh, I just had their game uh, yesterday. Looked very good with now uh, Julio Jones as well. But none of these five, with the exception of maybe Wilson in Seattle. Seattle looks to be pretty good defensively. Washington might be okay defensively, but the rest of these teams, uh, you know, we talked about Cleveland. Right. Maybe they're better defensively, and that will bode In well. That game yesterday they were. Exactly. We'll see going forward, uh, but that would lend itself to now going back to the numbers we're talking about. If you can play good enough defense, ask the guy to make 25, 30 throws tops, now you're apt to get more productivity than, than asking a rookie to throw it 40, 45 times. And I think that's a crucial aspect that it comes down to. And, and you know, they're, they're committed to it. I, I think it's a Russian. I mean, if you look at five last year, five this year, that's 10 starting quarterbacks out of 32 that are 23 years old, yeah. basically. I mean, that's asking a lot of these guys. And the question is always, you know, can you win? And it looks like even this year, looks like the only one that probably is going to have a winning team will probably be RG3. I think he has the closest. The other one, that's, you know, the comeback again back-to-back with teams that weren't much better right. defensively well, let's look, uh, let's and look, not much better on offense. Let's look at the, the five guys. We're talking about Jake Locker at Tennessee. Andy Dalton in Cincinnati, probably, again, the qualifier because they were able to go to the playoffs last year. Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, and Cam Newton. And of the guys that played, you know, only Christian Ponder – and the, and, the, and the Vikings won. Of course, they were playing Blaine Gabbert in Jacksonville. <laughs> if they'd have played somebody else, it might be different. And, uh, you know, kind of, a, uh, kind of a wash. Jake Locker was uh, 20, 23 of 32, 
for a, a one touchdown, one interception, and, of course, was in a position late to maybe do something. Blaine Gabbert, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Blaine Gabbert looked better. Right. He looked lost and confused last year. So, obviously, Mike Malarkey and Bob Redkowski have got – at least this guy's got his feet underneath him. Christian Ponder didn't throw any touchdowns or interceptions. Looked solid. Cam Newton, again, had really good numbers. Had some eye-popping throws, but he had one touchdown to two interceptions and a loss. Right. Well, I think that they're they're all going to improve. The question is, will the teams improve with them, and will they be the leader that will lead them to playoffs? Yeah, you know, second year now, people are looking for not just yardage, uh, not just touchdowns, less interceptions, but they're looking for you to lead that football team, and I think that's going to be the question mark for these ten quarterbacks, not just the five this year, but the five starters from last year. Well, let's transition. We're going to talk about some games and where, where what we draw from the first week. But let's let's begin with a topic everybody's talked about: uh, the the replacement officials. That that in my thinking, well, they're not anymore. They're NFL officials. They're NFL. They've officials. got a game and, under and you their know belt. What? What's interesting? I watched a little college football this week, and and uh, you know, none of the guys that were set to do Pac-10 or or Pac-12 or Big Ten or any of that games were there because these are not Division One. Officials, right? These are Division Two and Division Three officials because they're lower down the pay scale, and they were available. They're, they're not locked in as much as the guys on TV. So, in, in many ways, it's surprising, and you know, uh, they're trying not to make any mistakes. I think more than anything, right? And that in my game again, I had I had uh, Atlanta was at Kansas City, and watching the game, frankly, it it was uh, it was a well played game for the most part. I think there was only one penalty in the full first half. And that was uh, Matt Matt Ryan in the gun with the new uh, 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 infraction where if the quarterback is true, dr- too dramatic like right. a la Peyton Manning, right. you know, you can't be lifting the legs and jerking your head up and down. They got him one on that. Now, should there have been some calls? Probably. But I'll tell you, the game flowed pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and and I know there were some other games and some issues that maybe cropped up, but for the most part, uh, I think we have gotten through the storm, so to speak. If if I were a regular official, I'd think about coming in because if they think the fans are going to storm Park Avenue and demand it to turn around, I'd also remember what you know. Ronald Reagan fired twelve thousand air traffic controllers in nineteen eighty one or eighty four, and and ten thousand of them didn't get their job back. Right. Well, there, there's no doubt that the game – I thought I watched, I think, three or four games, and they, they, their offensive line were holding. Now, they yeah, always hold, right. okay? But the officials did not want to stop a game for holding. That was And I don't know what the numbers are show. Maybe the numbers are fine. I don't know because they were high-scoring games. But it also – it was offensive-oriented uh, in that they were scoring a lot right. of points. Uh, there were penalties because of the obvious uh, illegal procedure. There were penalties, obvious, uh, you know, encroachment. But they, they definitely seemed a little hesitant. And, I, and that makes sense because it's like, hey, if there's a big play, we're going to look at it with, with the, with the uh, eye in the sky. But if not, I mean, just let these, let these guys play. They know how to play the game. Defensive guys used to be in held anyway. I mean, right. I, I'd say it used to be a flag for ta- either, either it's tackling or, That's right. all, or it all counts. And they got away with a little pass interference, too, <laughs> in the games that I was watching well. Yeah. So it kind of bounces out that way. And uh, so, you know, it will be what it will be. They survived the first weekend right. decently. I think we also have to remember, particularly earlier in the season, how much we criticized the regular right. officials as well. Well, you know what? I think it's I think it's unfortunate because there's a relationship that is established to be an NFL. In other words, the players have a relationship with yeah. the owners, and and that gets breached every now and then, but for the most part. 
the coaches have a relationship with the owners and the league office, and there's never been a coach's strike. They've never had to walk off the job. They don't have a union and so forth. The officials have always been very close with the commissioner's office. They've always been very close with the whole hierarchy of the National Football League. And now all of a sudden, they've gone split so, as they say. They've right. had a, they've had a – they're separated. They're not divorced yet, but they're separated. And I think it's unfortunate because they've always been so close. They've worked close with these guys for Super Bowl games. At Super Bowl games, they're almost like an assistant commissioner, almost like a, a management in the National Football League to make sure things go according to plans. Now they that old-fashioned thing called money – has split these guys up, and and the I saw the offer. You know they they don't want to sign an eight year deal. Uh, they think if they did sign an eight year deal, the money should be a little bit better. We all think that way, and I think if this is going to be a tough one unless they do what happens many times, is they just say, "Hey, we'll take the offer you gave us before, which was a take it or leave it deal. We don't like it. We'll take it." And then, as we know, when we bring a player in that was really mad about the deal, then it's it's not the same. Right. I mean, it's not right. the same as when everything is rolling along great. When a guy says, take it or leave it, and he says, okay, I'll take it, it's not the same. And I'm, I'm afraid that with some of these guys that have almost been like management, they've been so close to the league, take it or leave it. Now they've got to, you know, they've got to now go out and say, guys, they whipped our butts. They're not going to give in. We've got to take it or leave it. They play the game. Nobody knows we're not there. Are we going to go or are we going to stay? And I think they're probably going to have to go back. Yeah. And and you like you say, that division between now Carl Johnson, the new head of officials, who was a longtime official, puts him on the other side. So that antagonistic relationship as these guys are critiqued going forward, as you right. do, you know, for the playoff assignments and the like and the complaints that the coaches will have, legitimate or not, as you go. You're right. It just changes the whole dynamic and creates an angst that's it's unfortunate. Uh, and But that's it is what it is. But I think as they look as a whole – what the hue and cry of of boy these guys are going to ruin the game i i haven't seen where the players are necessarily at risk and it hasn't disrupted to the game to where the fans aren't going hey i'm going to sit down on sunday and watch my game at one o'clock so at that point i really don't care no, yeah only do, that will happen is if there's a huge mistake right. you know which there have been a few officials that have missed some field goals and right. it's like that is the goalpost yeah. and that did not go over the goalpost that, that did not go inside that's, it. that's not good in any league <laughs> so pop warner that, high school that, junior college that is the only way i think there's going to be anything said about it you know we gave them more ink today than i think they'll get from anybody else yeah and the <laughs> fact that we're not talking most people as i'm listening to it too aren't talking a great deal about the officials no. that's that's a good thing at least that's a good thing for them. Well, let's talk about some of the big games, at least in a broader stroke, particularly as we, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to so impressed. There are so many good wins. It, every win's a good win. And we'll talk, let's talk in a minute, but about how you deal with it as a coach that, you know, that, that first game is tough because you know from April who the opener is. You put a lot of time and effort. You want your guys selling out. But you also know if we don't win this thing, we got 15 more games. Right. How do you not sell out to the point where, and you know how it is, Monday after a loss, particularly in the opener, the building, the players, it's like somebody died. Well, hope springs eternal. So everybody thinks they're going to be undefeated. Everybody thinks at least we're going to win the first game. Everyone thinks that we're off and running. When you don't win, then all of a sudden it is that way simply because all your hopes and aspirations, and, and it doesn't mean anything. It just means you, you might wind up going 12-4 and four and lose three more games. But I think that the panic does set in because you start thinking that we did all these things to improve. 
We did. We don't find out during the preseason. That's a different game called preseason football. We don't find out until we go live. It's better if you have like like you know San Diego has green has uh, Oakland somebody that you really can get fired up for besides the opening game. But I just think it's it's a tough deal. And so the teams that like Pittsburgh, you look at Pittsburgh saying. You know, you got handled pretty good last night by by uh, Peyton Manning and his Broncos, and we'll talk about that, obviously. Now, uh, you know, next up, you know, what if we lose that one? Are we going to be 0-2? Yeah, let's, let's talk about the opening weekend. The teams that I'm most impressed with, and there are a lot of teams that looked very, very good, but to me, what goes to the top of the list is when you can win on the road, particularly in the opener. I mean, it's always tough. Uh, the typical formula, obvious in this league for a long time, and, and I learned this from you a long, long time ago, was win at home, split on the road, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and split with the good ones. And now, it. teams you're supposed to beat and who's good, obviously that's a little more subjective. To me, the three, given that criteria, the three biggest wins we've got to talk about, Dallas going into New York and right. beating the reigning Super Bowl champs, San Francisco looking so good going into Green Bay. Uh, that was incredible. And then one we've already talked a little bit about, Washington going into New Orleans. And right. Winning. Yeah, and, and I think Dallas was impressed simply because people were starting to think that they cannot win. This is a big game. They can't win a big game. This is a game they got to have. They're not going to win it because they don't win those kind of games. Tony Romo going up against Eli Manning. Tony Romo can't outplay Eli Manning. I mean, so big plays, the line. And, and I think what happened, of course, is they never got to Tony. He had tremendous mm-hmm. protection. He played extremely well, even with it, with the distraction of not knowing whether Witten was going to play or not. You know, they got some productivity out of the tight end position, even without him. And I think it was that kind of a game where Dallas goes on the road, you know, the first game of the season. The only thing that could send Dallas on the road would be to play the defending Super Bowl champion. Right. Other than that, the league would have Dallas opening Absolutely. at home. I don't care if it's a Wednesday night, Thursday night. You know, Wednesday night game, first time, I don't know, maybe 50 years or something. If it's a Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, Dallas is home to showcase the Dallas Cowboys unless they can get a bigger deal playing in, in a Super Bowl champion. And they did a great job and rose to the occasion. I was most impressed with they had the adversity early with the interception and, and weathered the storm. Right. That would have been a classic position for a team that little tenuous with its confidence to on the road opener at New York to maybe fray at the edges, and they didn't. Romo came back and had the three touchdowns. Those two corners, um, um, Brandon Carr and uh, 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 Maurice Claiborne, you know, you can see the difference it's made for that defense. They, they specifically went after those guys. They expect them to come back and play better, and they did. Now, I think also they knew they say, all right, now this is a Giants team. They made me a super chance, but this was a Giants team that was nine and seven last year. Unfortunately for us, they beat us twice, but they didn't beat everybody else. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I think that they played with a little bit more confidence, knowing that hey, we had a chance all the way up to the last game of the season last year, and we have to go out and play well. So Dallas was impressive in that win on the road. Fourth and ten from the Niner forty-five. Rod. Under pressure, floats it deep for Jordy Nelson on the sideline. Jump ball, and it's batted away from Jordy Nelson by Chris Culliver. And the San Francisco 49ers are going to knock off the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Now, San Francisco going into Green Bay, and we all know that San Francisco's a good football team. They have all the good teams. You expect, you know, marginal teams or, or teams that aren't very good to get better in the offseason. Uh, the really good teams, it's hard to get a whole lot better. San Francisco, who was a good team, um, 
not only got better, but they got better in so many key areas. Most notably, we brought in someone we're very familiar with, Randy Moss, Mario uh, Manningham. They got LaMichael James from Oregon to give them their Darren Sproles-type presence that everybody seems to have uh, on a team that can still run the ball well, playing great defense. San Francisco and, and Alex Smith did just what Alex Smith does, but he did it on a big stage opposite of uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, boy, San Francisco had to be – that had to be as an impressive win as I saw all week. I, I think so, especially because defensively they were going to be challenged with, with Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay's explosive offense. But I think adding Manningham and, and Randy, it, it gave them a reason now to say, look, we cannot just go out and win the big games. They were 13-3 last year. That's right. quite a record. Uh, we can't go out and just win the big games without a little bit more offensive productivity. Frank Gore still did his thing. Yeah, but I, I tell you what, though, part of it, though, wow, Green Bay, I don't think is any better defensively. And, and I'm not going to wow. judge them all on one I'm game. But when I see, you know, Frank Gore throwing guys around when they're supposed to be tackling him, when I see guys just breaking tackles, that's a defense that is relying on Aaron Rodgers to make big plays and a lot of big plays. And I think as a team defensively, no matter what they did, they still don't tackle well in the secondary. They have average coverage. Uh, and they rush the passer from the outside backer spot. He does, Clay Matthews does a pretty good job. But the rest of the guys don't put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, that Nick Perry, their, their top draft choice, they're trying to create a Clay Matthews-type presence. And him, he looked really lost dropping into coverage at times. My confidence in Green Bay, and I'm with you 100%, was that this team, at least statistically, was the worst team in the league in defense last year and went 15-1. and one. And I, we both know Dom Capers and what a good job he does. So my thought was, you know, maybe they're not going to lead the league, but if they're just half as bad, you, you know, 15th, 16th in the league, right. you know, how good can they be? But that you're right, that team um, against a very good team, but again, they were at home. Right. And what San Francisco was able to do, they out – they got to beat emotionally. They got beat physically, and that's a good football team. But it's something they're going to have to deal with now going forward. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers had a bad, bad game. No. He looked pretty good. He looked like the Aaron Rodgers we all know and love. But that's going to be an issue for the Packers. And then uh, you know, we, we obviously we talked about Dallas. We talked about uh, uh, San Francisco and how good they looked. At. We talked about New Orleans already. How impressive that was, or how impressive it was for Washington going to New Orleans. Now that doesn't take away from some other good teams. You know, I had an Atlanta Falcon team that went in and beat Kansas City. Now, I'm not going to put Kansas City in the same uh, area as winning on the road. They still have a lot of things to prove. They were depleted defensively. Didn't right. have Tom Ali uh, because of the suspension for one game. Uh, they were without Brandon Flowers. They were without uh, Safety Lewis. So they were down in numbers a little bit. But Atlanta looked offensively and defensively. It was a little bit of a track meet early. But Mike Nolan's beginning to shake some things up defensively. Atlanta looked very, very good. And Matt Ryan looked like he could be maybe in that elite status if he can continue this. Well, I think that's the key thing. I mean, they've been a good team. They've just tried to add to it and, and try to be pretty explosive. Uh, I think they have the running attack to go along with it. And and so I think they're they're a good ball club. I didn't expect Kansas City to be able to, to stay with them. Now, the, the other one that I thought went went very well, and everybody was surprised by the Jets. I absolutely. mean, you know, because, oh, absolutely. well, first of all. All but it, at home, but well, that was impressive. That's, you know, they've never scored 48 points. Right. You know what I mean? I think that they. In the they, whole preseason. No, <laughs> yeah, but the whole preseason. I mean, in the first, you know, three, four games. <laughs> what they've always said is, and, and, you know, they've held Matt Sanchez's hand. 
They've always said, don't lose it for us. Defense will take care of business. And for a while, that's been close enough. They've been in the FC Championship game, you know, the whole nine yards. But this is a team that had not looked as good. And now, all of a sudden, when they score those kind of points, it's like, okay, now this is a team, if they play like that, this team can really go challenge and can beat New England. Uh, this team can, you know, go challenge and and uh, and beat the other good teams. And, and that's the way they looked yesterday. I think you said it exactly right. They finally put Sanchez in position to not just don't lose it, but now go go do, go do what a, a top-round quarterback should do. And they kind of took the shackles off. Plus, he, uh, there's got to be even, you know, people can still debate, and I'm still uh, on the other side of the ledger, not wondering if Tebow was a good idea or a bad idea. But... But he's kind of like, okay, what are you going to do? Shoot me twice? Right. I'm going to go down with my boots on. Right. You know, if you're going to put Tebow in there, and I'm going to let this thing fly. Uh, and and I think that's good for Mark Sanchez. We'll see when they play a little tougher competition. I haven't bought into the the, the hype about Buffalo. Very disappointed with them defensively. This was going to be a strength. They brought in Mario right. Williams. We knew the offense with Fitzpatrick, and there are some things that uh, they were going to have to work through. Does Chan Gailey's college style of offense work in the NFL? But defensively, that had to be very disappointing for, for a Buffalo team. Well, I think it was, and especially because it's a game that they felt going in that the Jets are not playing well. We can get ourselves one. This is a rivalry. We're in the AFC East. All the things that you're counting on, and they got handled easily. Five of the play clock blitz coming off the left side of the Colts. Jay play fakes. Everything's picked up very nicely. Jay arches back. Going for Jeffrey over the shoulder. Touchdown, Bears. What a beauty. Alshon Jeffrey's first NFL touchdown catch. Let's uh, uh, Two games I want to talk about. Uh, one guy we're very familiar with, Mike Tice, the new offensive coordinator for the Bears. Uh, done a phenomenal job. That was a good-looking Bear team. Uh, started out rough. Boy, you talk about a team overcoming uh, difficulty early. Cutler looked terrible and all of a sudden came back. A thing I like most about what Mike is doing with, with uh, Chicago, you know they're going to continue to emphasize the run, which is just what Lovey wants. They're never going to get too far away from that. But he's removed for Jay Cutler progression reads, uh, go one to two. It's, you know what, we're going to play action fake, and you throw what you see. Right. He's got a brilliant arm. When he can throw what he sees, this guy can be pretty good. And don't get caught up, as they did last year in the Mike March system, with more of throw to this area, throw to this progression, and it'll all come together. You let him just throw what he sees, he's going to be pretty good. Well, I think he has to take it, take the shackles off him, too. He He's a free-willing guy. He's yeah. a gunslinger. He comes out. He lets it fly. He plays better. He plays better when they were behind, I think. I don't know statistically if it says that, but but he does when he has to go out there and you need him when, he, when they're a little bit more desperate. And and they have got some players for him. Now, he can get the, he can also get it to the main guy. If Marshall's his main guy, he'll get it to Marshall. He's very good because he throws a beautiful ball. He has great velocity on the ball and then they still have the defense go along with it with, with Matt Forte running the ball to counter it also and so I thought that he really played well uh, I mean you know now he had a, an indie defense that right. still undersized you know they're still not sure this guy's in end or linebacker Are you sure that guy's I mean they're trying to, to get a little bit bigger but they're still somewhat undersized and I thought it was a good solid game by the Bears because they were down there was a lot going on with the you know with the Andrew Luck I mean maybe he does bring this uh, this magic with him that all of a sudden he He's going to help the whole team with Indianapolis play better. He's going to lift them all up and play better, but that was not the case. Now, you know, the Bears get Green Bay. Now, is Green Bay, in, going Green to be Bay. Be, in Green Bay? Is Green Bay going to be better? I don't know. I think they're going to have a hard time stopping the run and stopping the pass. I, I think Green Bay, the question is, how will the Bears hold up against 
Green Bay's offense. Yeah, I'm not sure that the Bears, uh, I don't know if they put on a really great pass rush against Andrew Luck, and obviously they're going to have to against Aaron Rodgers. And here we are, the first uh, here on the NFL Network on Thursday night, and we're our first big game, our first <laughs> must win. You know, when you and I were Second coaching. Second game of the season. Yeah, you and I coaching, the, you know, they were, I, I, they were all must wins, weren't they? I never had anybody say, you know, it's okay if you lose this game. Yeah, well, especially when you get to Roberts, they said this is, this is old black and blue division. This is the Bears versus the Packers, and I, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, let's move on to a game. What do we make of – what does Andy Reid make of the Philadelphia-Cleveland game and Michael Vick, who was just, you know, quite frankly, just horrendous, the four interceptions? What, what does that say about your team right it now? It says that Michael Vick cannot play well if he doesn't practice well. And so, and if he doesn't practice at all, he's going to play poorly. So he got two things. If he doesn't practice well, he plays bad. If he doesn't practice at all, he plays even worse. And that was the case. He has an offense that, to me, still is not familiar with. He, he does not run the West Coast offense like it needs to be run. It's not even close. And, and I think that that's still a problem. Now, defensively, I thought they would, you know, hang in there and play pretty good. They are supposed to be better. They played better at times a year ago. They played better at the end of the year, and I thought they did play better defensively. But I think they're going to struggle to a certain extent, particularly when you talk about the Giants and when you talk about, you know, Dallas, and I'm not grounding Dallas just because they won one game. But I, I just think they're going to struggle a little bit because they just still don't need, despite the fact of, of having a beautiful running back, McCoy, who can run the ball, and a receiver that can go get it, I just think Michael Vick is not, uh, you know, as sharp as he should be as far as that system and how to get the ball sharply out of his hands. Yeah, operating from the pocket that he was better last year. He showed improvement, and and uh, I remember a, a guy when we got Randall Cunningham, when you and I were in Minnesota together, and, and Randall was supposedly past it and couldn't work in the pocket. Uh, and, and we went 15-1 and one with right. Randall uh, Cunningham working out of the pocket. We had to actually push him out of the pocket at some point, say, you know what, Randall, it's still okay for you to run. Um, he looked like he's digressed a little bit and, and is anxious in the pocket like we saw before. He wants to not expose himself as much to hits, but how many big plays do you take off the table by run, throwing the ball away or running out of bounds? Um, I don't know. That's an awful fine line to walk. Well, I just think practice counts. I mean, you know that. And he got hurt in the very first preseason game, the, what, the third player, the, maybe they had two series, maybe the, the fifth player, the very first preseason game, and didn't play and didn't play again. And so all that practice time where he needs to work on the system and, and where the ball goes, he's missing that time. And I thought he played a tentative game. And because he hasn't really prepared practice-wise. Play fake, throw left side, complete, 35-40, sideline, 45-50. Foot race, Thomas, there he goes, 30, he's gone, 10-5, touchdown, 71 yards. The last game I want to talk about uh, is, is Pittsburgh at Denver. And uh, it, it was to me, it was a sharp contrast. It was, first, the most impressive thing, Peyton Manning. Four different guys, five receptions. So he's spreading around like Peyton Man's capable of doing. It looked to me in the game like, okay, we've kind of crafted this offense. We're going we're gonna to shift in motion and be a little more static than I was, and I'm going to learn to do that. They started out that way, struggled a little bit, and finally, okay, enough of that. Let's go back to do what I'm doing. Let's get in three wides. Let's get in, in uh, tight end and flank to the right. Give me a slot receiver over here. I'll take this thing at the line, and I'm up and down the field. And, okay, enough with the other thing. Let's do what I, we know I can do. What you're basically saying is, Coach, is great. I'm happy to be here. We're going to run a little bit of my offense. We're going to run a little bit of your offense. We can put these two things together. It's going to work for us. And already after the first game, he says, Coach, let me tell you what. Why don't you just keep your offense, let me go no huddle, and we'll just 
run my offense. And his offense, he, it's the only thing he's ever run. He's run that offense for all his years in the National Football League, and now is not the time to change, and he makes it very simple. And if he run, you know, he, he goes a number count. If you've got six guys in the box, he's going to run the ball, even if he only gets three or four yards. If you bring down and, and you have seven guys in the box, he's going to throw. He's going to motion the guy down to help him as, as far as protection. I mean, he's running the classic. So he now it's official. The Broncos are running Peyton Manning's offense. And when Peyton Manning's running his offense, he normally looks a little bit better, even though, uh, you know, uh, Roethlisberger is, is, you know, had a little changes there. And I think they're running our offense because I think that's really what Todd Haley, right. you know, he, he's running our offense when he went into when he went in Arizona. And so they're, they're trying. But, you know, he does not, you know, he doesn't throw on time. He really tough. Rosenberger played well. He got hit. He got out of Brock. He didn't get knocked down. He threw the ball well. But when you're up against the timing of Peyton, which says that he gets on the field and seven minutes later, you get to come back on. You, when when Rosenberger comes on, he's anxious. If he doesn't get scored, then Peyton goes on the field and he's going to take another five to seven minutes. It was classic Peyton. Right. They had what six? Uh, Pittsburgh only six or seven possessions. Yeah, hey, and some right. of it they had a couple of cool long drives, and that accounts for it. But you're right; you just you just don't get the ball back. And uh, yeah, and 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 John Fox is smart enough to know that you know what I'm going to let Peyton do. I might go over and suggest to him, you know, a run here and there might be okay. You'll Peyton, run if the number count keep, says run. That's right. But you keep doing what you're doing. This is going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, you can reach me at Coach Billick and let us know what you want to talk about. We'd love to hear from you, the fans. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.